going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Pure Sports Pod. This is Matt Weirich, and in case you haven't noticed, we've taken a bit of a break uh, since our last episode. Kevin is in Utah, uh, serving good people, doing some social work, uh, and unable to come on the podcast today and all this week. Uh, so we took a little bit of a break, didn't have an episode earlier this week, but we'll be back on normal schedule with a show early Monday morning, so be sure to look out for that. In the meantime, we've got one episode this week, uh, myself with my good friend Mitchell Seaman, uh, who comes from Virginia Tech, fin- uh, sports fanatic. Mitchell, how you doing? Doing well. Glad to be here. Finally, uh, glad to have somebody on the podcast that can challenge Matt to some debates. Uh, yeah, you know, Kevin's pretty... Uh, <laughs> we'll uh, lay off sometimes, no. But, um, all right, well, we'll go ahead and jump right in. Uh, the biggest news, and I think, cross sports right now is what the Seattle Seahawks are doing uh, amid free agency opening up in the NFL, um, a flurry of moves going on, most notably by the Rams. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and focus on Seattle breaking up the Legion of Boom. Now, Cam Chancellor obviously may never play a snap again uh, after suffering a neck injury earlier this season. Uh, but now we have Richard Sherman, who's reportedly going to be cut, um, the former All-Pro cornerback who dealt with several injuries last season. Um, and apparently Earl Thomas III is also on the trade market. So that's really going to be uh, opening up a lot of doors for them. They've already traded Michael Bennett, uh, who went over to Philadelphia. They are reportedly going to be releasing Jeremy Lane. And Cliff Averill, their uh, all-pro defensive end, is likely retiring after suffering, suffering a neck injury himself. That's clearing $24.8 million in cap room. Mitchell, where do you think Seattle is going here? I mean, this is obviously a period of transition. I mean, on offense, you've got Russell Wilson, and it's about that. That's about it. The defense had a lot of talent, but old talent, expensive talent, injury-prone talent. Uh, so they're likely parting ways with a lot of those big names. What do they do moving forward? I mean, I think it's clear, looking at the NFC West, the Rams are going to be the class of the division for maybe near the decade to come. I think Seattle sees that as well with all the athletes the Rams have on offense with Todd Gurley. Even on the defensive side with guys like Aaron Donald, who are just absolutely dominant. So I think they're really kind of starting to look, with the talent we have now, we're not going to be able to compete with this young talent on the Rams. So I think they're really looking at just to rebuild and get rid of distractions. I think it's a really good move. Yeah, I mean, Michael Bennett certainly made a ton of headlines um, just, you know, outside of the locker room uh, and, and, you know, all his, his political stances he's been making. So, uh, you know, that's been looked at as a tr- distraction. Pete Carroll has kind of, you know, come out and said, you know, we, we need to limit these kind of distractions. Richard Sherman's obviously a very vocal player. Cam Chancellor was a very vocal player uh, in the locker room. So they're clearly going through this big shift here. And like you said, looking at the division, the Rams obviously stacked. I mean, you know, they've got their quarterback of the future in Jerry Goff. They have Todd Gurley, who is almost one MVP this year. Uh, their defense is stacked up and down, and they're making several moves that bolster uh, they, uh, their secondary, acquiring Keeps Leave and making a few other moves. So they're clearly, you know, they're, they're in win-now mode, and they're win-now for the next three, four years. And then we've got, of course, the 49ers, uh, who just extended Jimmy G to the biggest contract in NFL history um, and are, you know, just got Marquise Goodwin on a three-year deal. deal. They're, you know, uh, having to move forward without um, Carlos Hyde, obviously hitting free agency, but Matt Bryda was looked at as a potential, you know, star running back there, you know, still kind of young. Um, and then, of course, their defense is going to need some work. I think that's what they're going to focus on in the draft. Possibly a wide receiver, uh, you know, to maybe if they have one of those higher pick, you know, they have a top 10 pick, they might be able to draft a wide receiver um, to complement Goodwin and kind of give um, Jimmy G some weapons. But I think the defense needs a little bit of work. So, um, but regardless, Seattle training in the wrong direction, made a series of moves this year to go all in and still only went nine and seven, you know, Dwayne Brown, um, you know, they lost a few draft picks in that. 
Um, so they're going to have to, you know, recover from from all this kind of period of winning, you know, first time missing the playoffs in six seasons. Um, but likely, I think the Seahawks are, you know, going to be in a rough next few years. A lot of reports I've heard coming out of the locker room is after the Super Bowl loss to the Patriots, Richard Sherman, it's a pretty bad blood with Russell Wilson, almost blaming him for them not having a second Super Bowl. And so I kind of think it came to the point where Seattle really needed to choose its future. We're going to go a guy behind a guy like Russell Wilson, who's pretty humble, but obviously a great leader. Or we're going to go behind these more vocal, out of the locker room kind of distraction guys like Bennett and Sherman. So I think Russell Wilson's clearly the guy you want to build a good franchise around. So I think after that second Super Bowl loss, the team really wasn't all together. They really had to choose a direction. So what do you think happens here? Is this is this now the draft we're going to focus on, you know, defense or they need to, you know, they have nobody around Russell Wilson. I mean, that rushing offense hasn't had a 100-yard rusher since Marshawn Lynch. I believe, I don't even remember, but they had very few rushing touchdowns in total last year at, from a running back position. They have some guys like Tyler Lockett who can go deep and Thomas like Rawls. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, they really don't have any go-to guys. Uh, Jimmy Graham really wasn't that much of a go-to guy for them. Doug Baldwin's not necessarily a number one receiver. Um, and he had kind of been forced to be at that position the last few years. So what I think Seattle needs to do and what I think they're going to do is kind of get rid of all these distractions, mainly on the defense, and just try and get some really young, fast talent around Russell Wilson. Because Wilson is mm, a top 10 QB in the NFL, sometimes even an MVP candidate. I'd say top five, Exactly. Honestly. And you don't really want to waste that kind of talent with who they put around him so far. So I think looking at the 49ers, looking at the Rams all with young QBs, they're like, with, at the QB position, we can kind of hang with them. So we really need to get some speed on the offensive side. And on defense, they really like Shaquille Griffin, uh, who was drafted in the third round last year out of, do you remember? Who? Uh, Central Florida. He's the brother of Shaquem Griffin, the mm -hmm. guy who had the amazing combine uh, from Central Florida. <laughs> yep, yep. They're twins. But, um, I mean, they do have Cam Chancellor coming back, hopefully at full strength after that freak kind of injury. I have a feeling he might be missing a lot of time this I year. agree. But, I mean, you still got some leaders on the defense, I feel like, and... Losing the really kind of distraction guys, I don't think will really hurt the locker room in terms of leadership. But they will be down, I believe, next year. The Rams just look like too much. The 49ers ended the year on a great streak. I mean, the Cardinals are down, but I think the Niners are just kind of looking for the next few years. I think the Cardinals, you know, they're in the mix for Kirk Cousins. You bring, a, you know, a quarterback of his caliber into Arizona, obviously, you know, you've got a lot of age on that team. Um, but and the new coach and new coach, but, but at the same time, I think that you know they could even be making some moves. You know they have they have a pretty star-studded defense uh, when you look up and down mm -hmm. the roster. Their offense definitely needs a little bit of work, but you know you, you throw a quarterback like Kirk Cousins in there, you know this suddenly becomes a stacked division where you know a few years ago it was like Seahawks just dominating everybody. 49ers, you know, were in that conversation, even made a Super Bowl at one point, uh, but it just kind of seemed like every year after year it was the Seahawks. Now we might be seeing them coming in last place next year. Um, yeah, I do think. I mean, you could potentially, on a, if some teams really kind of overplayed with their talent, you could potentially get two wildcard teams out of the NFC West, but I don't really see it happening. I see the Rams clearly winning the division next year. The 49ers could probably compete for a wildcard spot, but I could see the Seahawks going around 8-8, eight and 9-7, eight, mm -hmm. just kind of trying to build up some draft picks and young talent for the next two to three years. I honestly think that the, you know their ceiling is six wins. I mean, I, I really? feel like... I feel like with all the, the cuts they're making right now, okay, they were their strengths last year were their passing offense and their passing defense. Both ranked inside the top 10 last year uh, in terms of national averages. Uh, you know, that was really their strength. Now they're cutting out their secondary. They're completely gutted. 
Um, plus, you know, Michael Bennett being one of your best pass rushers, you know, on the team. Uh, basically, you know, where where do you go from here in terms of, you know, co- covering the pass? It, it's bringing it, I mean, obviously Griffin is a great talent. You know, they have, you know, a couple of guys in the secondary that, you know, got more playing time because of injuries last year that'll probably, you know, give another shot this year. But it doesn't look like that's going to be a strength anymore. And it doesn't look like the run defense picked up at all. So I think the defense is taking a major step back here with these cuts. I mean, obviously you need the locker room change. And there's things bigger than football of reasons that you're doing that. Um, but the offense, if they don't add anyone around Russell Wilson, that's not really going to pick up either. I don't see, I see them taking a step back considering they only won nine wins, you know, and, and that was honestly because Russell Wilson was just able to play, you know, so well on his own without any kind of support around him. You know, the offensive line was awful, no run support. His wide receivers are never, even, you know, when they were really good, they were never that great. So I see them taking a few steps back this year. I, I think that we could be seeing a three, four win team uh, competing for a top five pick in the draft uh, going next year. I think when you're a perennial Super Bowl contender, having guys that are very local in the locker room and having kind of that swagger is a great thing. and kind of propel you to wins uh, that maybe you shouldn't necessarily have. But when you're not competing for a Super Bowl and you're barely competing for a playoff spot, having those guys out there speaking, when you know you're really not that great, I think is a, too much of a distraction. And I think Russell Wilson is definitely the guy you want to build a franchise around. I think he can lead a team to eight and eight, even with under talent, mm-hmm. less talent, because they'll just be more of a unit, a one, a, a team. And I do like Pete Carroll as coach. Sometimes I do think he's a little too vo- vocal, like a lot of the players and he's too much of a player's coach at times, but I still think they're, I mean, quarterback is obviously the most posi- important position in football and having a guy like Russell Wilson, you can propel yourselves to wins against lesser teams that may have uh, kind of lower rated QBs. Yeah, we, we've talked about this before about NBA players and how, you know, mm-hmm. even bad NBA teams who have one good player uh, will pull wins you know out of their ass. And mm-hmm. uh, even when they're probably not the better team, but simply because that player is able to take over games and quarterback is a position that allows you to do that. So I understand where you're coming from. I just think that with, you know, uh, a good quarterback trying to play catch up on when his defense is consistently giving up, you know, I think that defense could give up 400 passing yards a game. I mean, like, it, it's, it's kind of incredible to see, you know, just the talent that's going to be leaving the team. I mean, obviously, you know, a lot of these players were injured the past two years. And, and so you, they weren't even making as much of an impact as they used to. But just losing locker room leaders, even if, you know, like a lot of players have come out and tweeted and stuff saying like, man, what's going on? Like, you know, these are our brothers, all this kind of stuff. And so these are definitely players that other players are attached to, but not necessarily management and coaching staff. Uh, and that's where, you know, things get dicey. But you also have to look at the NFC as a whole. You know, you mentioned maybe we have two wildcard teams from the NFC West. I mean, the NFC South had two. Uh, they had three teams make the playoffs. NFC North, you got to think the Packers are going to be back in it. Um, Vikings are already, like, look to be, you know, a really, really good team. Um, and I, I don't know. I think the NFC is clearly better than the AFC right now. Um, and, then of course, the Eagles, Cowboys might, you know, bounce back this year. Um, Giants are apparently, you know, looking to flip the script. I don't know. Some Kevin writes for a Big Blue, Blue, Big Blue View of uh, the <laughs> Giants SB Nation blog, um, and he's come on saying, you know, Giants are one of those teams that go, are good quarterback away from from you know making a difference. And I mean, you know, when they're picking top two in the draft, <laughs> it's kind of hard to make that argument. But Kevin's been very firm on saying, you know, don't count out the Giants. So I, you know, I respect it. Um, and I, I made the case the Redskins might be able to, you know, make some moves too. Uh, their defense definitely needs some pass rushers. Um, but uh, regardless, we're drifting off here. NFC is stacked, and I just don't see the Seahawks. You know, if this were the AFC. 
I could see them, you know, potentially making a wild card spot, but simply because the competition is so good, and it's because every team in the NFC has like a set quarterback, you know, except for the Cardinals. Uh, the Redskins already have Alex Smith, so you know, you look around the scope of the NFC, who doesn't have a quarterback? It's all basically set, and you know, once you get that down, you're able to move forward. Um, and obviously the Vikings, but you know, they're going to find somebody either Cousins. They're in the running for Cousins. They'll resign one of their three guys. Uh, so I think that you know the Seahawks are probably going to be you know top five pick in the NFL draft. Their ceiling is for sure, I think, just competing for a wild card spot, as I'd probably put them as around a third-tier team in the NFC with the Eagles, Rams, those more complete teams on top. I'd put probably Vikings second tier because they're still looking for quarterbacks, kind of teams that are a few pieces away from competing. But I think the Seahawks are clear. Their ceiling is competing for a wild card spot, while their floor could be coming dead last in the division. So I don't think they're going to compete with a lot of these top teams like the Rams at all, but... They do have a quarterback, and they do have some guys that have been there for a while to maybe overachieve a little bit. And with $24 million on, you know, opening up on the books for next year, that gives them a lot of space to make moves. I think that signing some marquee free agent might be, honestly, a bad idea, uh, simply because they have so many holes. You know, when it, if a team has, like, one glaring hole, like the Vikings, mm-hmm. need a quarterback, obviously. They can, you know, whatever cap space they have open, they're going to dedicate toward that quarterback position and then kind of, you know, pull the scraps for the rest of the roster to fill it out. With the Seahawks, you just have so many holes, so many different plays. I mean, you got offensive line, you got running back, you got wide receiver, you got defensive back, linebacker, uh, you know, at least another pass rusher with Cliff Averill retiring. I don't see them being able to just, you know, find one guy to solve the problem. To me, it seems like they've got to, you know, pick and choose where they spend their money. Uh, obviously, opening up all this payroll is good for them because, you know, they're clearing all these expensive contracts, uh, you know, like Richard Sherman or Earl Thomas have. Um, but I, I can't see them, you know, finding like that one guy to come in and change everything because it seems like you know they're they're in a much worse shape than that. I 100% agree. Um, they do have some younger guys, I think, on defense that will step up, like Deion Jordan, who's a restricted free agent this year, but they're looking to re-sign out of Oregon. So they definitely have some younger talent, I think, but their defense is definitely going to take a step back, and it's pretty amazing considering two, three years ago they're considered one of the best defenses in NFL history. Yeah, I mean, if you're a fantasy player and you've had Seattle's defense, you've been very disappointed. Same with the Broncos, actually. I had Broncos defense coming into the year, and it was just, oh, I was, <laughs> it hurt me for sure. All right, well, we'll go ahead and move on now to the NBA, uh, where the San Antonio Spurs, uh, perennial playoff contenders, kind of like the Seahawks, were in danger of missing the playoffs for the first time in what seems like forever. Uh, they are 3-9 and nine in their past 12 games and fallen to fifth in the West and are just two games above the cup for the playoffs. Is this the year we actually see the Spurs missing the postseason? Now, Kawhi might be out for the year. You know, it's in his hands now is when he wants to come back. The team has cleared him, but he's saying, I'm not healthy. I'm not going to play um, until I feel 100%. So maybe we see him back in time for the playoffs, kind of like a Jimmy Butler situation. But, you know, as far as regular season goes, they got to make it. Uh, And with the way some of the teams are playing in the West right now, you know, namely the Nuggets, uh, the Jazz are on the rise. uh, Even the Clippers are playing well. It looks like the the Spurs could be falling out of the picture. Mitch, do you see this as a possibility? It's definitely a possibility, but I don't see them missing the playoffs. Um, There are teams like the Clippers and Nuggets who have been playing really well with a lot of lesser talent. But I really can't, maybe the Nuggets, but mostly the Clippers, I can't see them continuing this up. Uh, They really don't have many go-to guys, like Lou Williams off the bench maybe. Um, The Nuggets I do really like, and like guys like Jokic who can kind of do it all. But I don't see the Spurs missing the playoffs. Um, they've always been able to compete with lesser talent. 
Um, there even teams like New Orleans. I mean, you have to kind of watch them missing Demarcus Cousins. Yes, Anthony Davis has been on a tear, but how many actually go to guys do they have? That hey, don't actually, hate on Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday is a very good guard, but he's not a kind of guy. They they need more kind of backcourt depth. I really think Rajon Rondo is a very limited, great passer, but very limited score. So I think there's too much parity where almost any team from Portland to Utah. From three to ten, can make or miss the playoffs. So I do think the Spurs will make it in, maybe as like a six or seven seed, play the Rockets or Warriors, maybe in the first round. But if they get a, I think if they get like the six seed, play a team like Portland, they could make the second round. Possible. I mean, it, yeah, it kind of depends on the matchups. I mean, let, let let's just look through the West here, okay? Let's talk about playoff locks, all right? With teams we both agree will make the playoffs. Obviously, Rockets and Warriors, okay? I think Trailblazers, fair. I think the Trailblazers make the playoffs. Trailblazers. They have two great scorers in the backcourt. Pelicans. Pelicans. With where they are. They're, you know, they're fourth in the um, the West right now. I mean, you know, obviously there's only three and a half games above the cut for, you know, the playoffs. But I think, you know, with the way they're playing right now with Anthony Davis, you know, taking over the league like he has, Draymond Green just came out and said he should win MVP over James Harden, which is kind of crazy. I think, uh, you know, I, I think Harden's got to be a lot. The Warriors but. have been really downplaying the Rockets. Uh, I believe they were kind of talking about how Clint Capella really doesn't do anything on offense for the Rockets, which I think is just kind of talk. With Clint Capella, with him, Paul, and Harden, they've only lost one, one game, game this yeah. year. So, yeah, I do think uh, Anthony Davis is a great player, but being in the league six years now and never even winning a playoff game, much less a series, I don't know how much faith I have in him in leading a team like to victories consistently. So, yeah, they most likely will make the playoffs, but they're not a lock in my eyes. No team from 3 to 10 is a lock. Not the Thunder. Not the Thunder. I've honestly been down on the Thunder most of the year. but are probably the best team of that second tier behind the Warriors and Rockets, just based on pure talent. Um, I think with Jimmy Butler, the Timberwolves are in that conversation. I agree. Too, but. I agree. Um, the Utah, I really think, is kind of overplaying the talent, or kind of over-succeeding in a way, like, Guys, they don't really have a go-to score like Gordon Hayward anymore. Rudy Gobert is really just a defensive monster, but doesn't do much on offense in terms of creating for himself. So I really think the Spurs are definitely better than teams like Utah and L.A., but I, I do see them struggling late, but I do see them getting a few key wins. I mean, uh, personally, you know, I, I see after the top four right now, let's just throw the Pelicans in there. I know you're not, you don't consider them a lock, but with the way they're playing right now, you know, it's undeniable that they are the one of the hottest teams in the NBA. Uh, so if you look at that bottom half of the West standings, you got San Antonio, Minnesota, Oklahoma City, and LA. I think of those six teams, and then of course Denver and Utah, you know, are the two bubble teams beneath them. Of those six teams, I think the top four are Minnesota, Oklahoma City, Denver, and Utah. Those just they just you know pace. You know, the, the a Basketball Reference has a great stat where it measures the pace of a team. San Antonio is 29th in the NBA. They are the second slowest team. In basketball, and I cannot see, especially in the second half of the season, where you're list- missing your top player, where your best point guard is Tony Parker on the tail end of his career. You know, kind of, and Lamarcus Aldridge is, is supposed to be, you know, the guy. When yes, he's a great player. His player efficiency rating is 24 this year, which is absolutely, you know, for him, it, it's a career high. I, I, I think he's a great player, and I think that you know, they're they're in really good hands with him. As far as this season goes, though, I just don't see them outpacing Minnesota. Oklahoma City. I mean, Oklahoma City still is figuring out that chemistry. They're finally getting it down. Same with Minnesota. Um, obviously, having to, you know, we're seeing with the Wizards right now, with John Wall out and the rest of the team kind of having to step up and play well. 
Um, and the, when they've kind of kept the team afloat while Wall's been hurt, and, you know, forget all the, you know, we're better without Wall rumors. Uh, the, this is a team that's it's, it's giving t- guys like Thomas Sadoransky time to, you know, practice and, and, and play uh, and kind of get, you know, more minutes to, you know, better action. Because more experience is always good. And so once, you know, the stars come back, once Jimmy Butler comes back, that's only going to mean good things for the bench because they're going to have, you know, a better sense of the rotation, better sense of, you know, what to do on the floor against better players, all that kind of thing. And so I see the Jimmy Butler injury obviously hurting them right now, but in terms of the playoffs, could actually pay dividends for them. I agree. Um, I don't think I would probably put Minnesota as high as you do. They've consistently underachieved. Last year, they didn't make the playoffs, and I think they But look the at the roster turnover. I agree. I agree. But Andrew Wiggins is arguably one of the worst front court or backcourt defenders in the entire NBA. Um, Carl Anthony Towns has been playing great, but I do think... Carl Anthony Towns top three center right now. Uh, yeah, center's kind of a very weak position, but I would probably tend to agree. Um, but... I still see San Antonio making it. I mean, their defense has been... I mean, I would kind of consider them very similar to the Celtics in a way, as without the whole Ky- without Kyrie of the go-to scorer. They're both very good defensive teams. Struggle on the offensive end greatly. The Celtics are, do struggle on the offensive end when they really need to score against good defensive teams. But my top four would most likely be Oklahoma City at four, at five. Of, of those next tier at five. Probably... I would most likely put San Antonio at six. I know they've been struggling lately. I just don't see it continue. And then um, Minnesota and probably Denver. I really like Denver's guy uh, backcourt with Gary Harris, uh, even Jamal Murray. And I really like Jokic. I think he's going to be a top 10 player in the NBA in the next few years. He can do it all. But I think Utah and the Clippers have been overachieving. Um, Utah does not have really any go-to scores that I've, would really consider threatening to an action to a team when they need a bucket late. And LA, DeAndre Jordan's extremely limited. I mean, really their only go-to backcourt scorer, which is what you need to be good in the NBA, is Lou Williams. And as a sixth man, how much is he really going to do down late in the stretch? So I think the Spurs 50 win uh, streak of, of going to 19 is in real jeopardy. Um, I would be actually surprised if they did get there. They probably need to go thirteen. They need to go thirteen and four down the stretch, but I still see them making the playoffs. Their coaching staff has been in tough situations before. They they won't get kind of stressed about this situation. I don't think um, they've been in the Popovich has been in the league for about for over twenty years, but they don't have a go to score and that's worrisome. But I still see them definitely making the playoffs. I, I'm I'm not too worried about that. In the flurry of moves at the trade deadline, a lost acquisition in that entire thing was the Jazz picking up Jameson Crowder. And I know, Jameson Crowder is not a go-to scorer by any means. He's a rotation guy, uh, usually like a six-man uh, kind of type player, um, who, who is definitely has a lot more value on the defensive side of the ball than he does offensive. But since being acquired by the Jazz, he's really been able to change his game because, you know, in Cleveland, he, his kind of his style wasn't really fitting in with that offense. Kind of was a trend. Uh, players coming from Boston, uh, just really not fitting in with that entire Cleveland uh, regime with you know LeBron taking over that offense. And I think that since being acquired by the Jazz, he's been able to kind of you know play his game. I um, mean, he's been a lot more consistent, scoring above ten points per game. His season averages have rose, risen dramatically uh, since moving over to Utah. And you know that's playing in the West against better teams. Uh, so for the fact that he is putting up these numbers um, in a system that kind of suits him better. I think we're going to be seeing a lot of Jay Crowder in the Western Conference plays. I think the Jazz can make some moves. I mean, okay, 
they're they're 10th seed right now. So obviously they're going to need to move up a little bit if they're going to want to, you know, win a playoff series. Uh, you know, I'm not expecting that to happen, especially if they finish uh, in the bottom three seeds. But if they get up to, you know, six, five, I, I think they could, you know, make some moves because while, yes, the West is clearly better than the East, I do think it's top heavy in terms of talent. I mean, obviously the Warriors and Rockets are just two, you know, above everyone else's teams by far. Um, but I, I think that, you know, if we do see the Timberwolves rise up, rise up to that three seed and they play um, they play the Jazz in the first round, I can see the Jazz making some moves. I mean, with that way they're playing right now, uh, you know, only the Rockets have really been playing better since the start of 2018. Um, I, I, I wouldn't doubt their ability to win a playoff series, if, if giving the right seeding. I mean, I don't think they're going to be able to beat the Rockets and the Warriors, obviously. But anyone else, I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, you know, count them out immediately. I do like a lot of the younger talent Utah has, but considering they're the 10 seed right now and the way Donovan Mitchell has been tearing up the league as a rookie, it's tough for me to see them to continue to play like this and even better. Donovan Mitchell is a rookie. You don't win with rookies in the NBA. It's a veterans game. I mean, look at the Timberwolves who have had some of the best young talent in the NBA and com- consistently been the 10 seed or worse in the West. Yep. Even Anthony Davis, I mean, one of the best young players, never even won a playoff game, as I said earlier. Young guys really don't win in the NBA, and I don't see Donovan Mitchell playing better than he is right now or even consistently playing like this the last two month or two of the season. So I don't see the Utah making the playoffs. Um, I like their, I love their future a lot. I do like Ricky Rubio at point guard. Joe Ingles is very underrated. Big deep threat from three. Um, Rudy Gobert is going to be really good if he can develop his offensive game. But just looking at this year alone, I don't see Utah making the playoffs. I think San Antonio just kind of has more veteran leadership and some confidence. LaMarcus Aldridge, while he is not able to really score from the outside as much as I would like from a big man, guy like Jokic can kind of do it all from the Nuggets. I do think veteran leadership from him and Popovich, even Tony Parker and Ginobili are still somehow on that team and in the league. But those guys have been through every situation you could possibly imagine in the NBA. So I see them making the playoffs. But on a bigger note, I do see the Kawhi thing playing out Pretty bad for this team in the offseason. I think Kawhi wants out of San Antonio. I think he's tired of who they've kind of put around him. And I think the doctors continually clearing him and him saying, no, I'm not okay. I think that's just put some really bad blood between him and the uh, front office. Mm -hmm. So I think Kawhi, I think he might want to leave. And I do see that could be a distraction late in the season for them. But I think too much veteran leadership will uh, propel them to make probably the seventh seed in the playoffs. So, yeah, as far as their long-term plans go, I mean, honestly, it might be good for them to miss the playoffs because this is probably going to happen. I mean, Tony Parker, Manu, jo- Manu, jo- Manu Ginobili, I can't speak. I don't know. What am I doing on the podcast? Uh-huh, but, you know, they're a 50-50 bet to retire at the end of any given season. I mean, we might be seeing a whole new Spurs team next year with no Parker, no Ginobili, um, and possibly no Kawhi. Um, but even if they do have Kawhi moving forward, they have a higher draft pick if they miss the playoffs. You know, that puts them in that top, you know, 15 range, um, which, you know, wouldn't be bad necessarily for them. Uh, but I, I think that, you know, if the Spurs can develop a guy, you know, mid to tier first round uh, draft pick, you know, with Kawhi Leonard, they, they need a younger, like I said, their pace of play is 29th in the league. I mean, if they can get some younger guys in there, um, to mix in with guys like Kawhi and Danny Green, who kind of can keep that pace up. I mean, Patty Mills, they thought was going to be the future at point guard, but has really just been a bench player. Um, hasn't really been able to reach his ceiling. Um, his floor is still pretty high, which is, you know, is good for San Antonio in terms of a rotation player, but he's not going to be the future of the Spurs by any means. 
Um, so they might need to look, you know, toward that backcourt, see if they can get some guys in there, especially with Ginobili and Parker um, at that tail end of their career. They have no guys that are like contingency plans for if they go down. I mean, it's Patty Mills. And, and as good as, you know, we thought Patty Mills was going to be a few years ago, it's really just not panning out for him uh, in terms of becoming, you know, a franchise player. Uh, you know, like I said, very good player, just not great. Uh, so I think they need to look at that backcourt. You know, they have Aldridge locked in. Um, you know, Pau Gasol is a toss-up, you know, being you know, as old as he is as well. But, you know, they got a lot of money invested in him. So I think the front court in terms of starters is fine. But if they invest in that backcourt, get some younger guys in there, I think, you know, there's a lot of a lot of stuff to like about this team. And with um, Isaiah Thomas hitting for agency after this year, I mean, you know, we could be seeing him in San Antonio. Who knows? I think it's important for the Spurs to make the playoffs um, because before the year there were talks before the entire Kawhi kind of thing is kind of played out the way it has. There were talks the Spurs could try and go after a guy like LeBron James in the offseason because LeBron and Popovich have a great relationship. And I think uh, LeBron's never really played under that Hall of Fame coach the way Michael played under Phil and same with Kobe. So I do think LeBron would love to play under a guy like Pop, but... If this Kawhi thing continues to play out the way it does, it could hurt them in free agency. But if they make the playoffs to say a six seed and Kawhi maybe comes back late in the year, I think it really could alter the way that they look to go in the future. If they look to rebuild or they look to get a big free agent and continue to win now with Kawhi, who's probably one of the top five to ten best players in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, you know, LeBron to San Antonio seems like a dream to me almost. I mean, with, you know, obviously LeBron is a ball-dominant player. He brings up the ball. He almost plays like a point guard, even though he's a, he's a small forward built player. Um, and, and not to say that, you know, Kawhi can't play off ball, because he certainly can. You know, that's almost his style. Um, and I think that would be a good compliment there. I feel like Kawhi, as humble as the guy is, still wants to be the guy on the team. And so I think that would cause even more unrest in terms of long-term stability. I don't know if, you know... If you're the Spurs, do you want to bring in LeBron for two years and risk losing Kawhi for yes. ten? I mean, yes. I like. I understand that you say yes to that, but I, at the same time, like, I, I, going all in on two years with one player doesn't seem like a great gamble. I also don't think the Spurs have enough players around LeBron to make this team, you know, be able to contend with the Warriors in the West. Because if you look at this, you bring in LeBron, you're going to want to compete for the one seed. You are going to be want to be that number one team in the West, and with the Warriors being locked in with the players that they have right now, I, you know, they have one of the best benches in the NBA. And a lot of people don't talk about how, you know, obviously not as good as it was a few years ago because they've had to, you know, pay some guys, you know, mainly Steph Curry, uh, making you know a max deal. I just don't see the Spurs reserves competing with the Warriors right now, uh, considering the age, considering. Uh, they might be having a lot of roster turnover regardless because of Parker and Ginobili. I just don't think that even if you bring in LeBron, that's going to solve all their problems because LeBron is definitely a problem solver. You know, bring him into the team. He's going to, you know, create more opportunities than you ever would have had with anybody else. But I don't think that, you know, bringing him in just automatically makes the Spurs elite. I agree. If LeBron were to sign with the Spurs in this hypothetical situation, um, free agents do love to play with LeBron James, especially older free agents, especially three-point shooters, maybe some older big men looking to get a ring in the late part of their career. So I think a guy like LaMarcus Aldridge would love that. Mm -hmm. I do understand what you're saying, though. Kawhi does kind of seem like a humble leader, though. He does want to be the number one guy. But I think in today's NBA... There's not really that alpha dog mentality as there was back in the early 2000s and 90s kind of era where you had to be the go-to guy. 
I mean, guys like Kevin Durant and Steph, Steph Curry could be alpha dog type players, but they're obviously. But I mean, that's how uh, that's how Isaiah Thomas got traded. Was because he wanted. To, I mean, not Isaiah Thomas. Sorry, Kyrie Irving got traded. He wanted to be that alpha dog. He wanted to you know have his team. And I, I feel like that is something that a lot of people. I don't think for. the problem with Kyrie Irving, and LeBron James, was that the alpha dog mentality. Uh, the idea was more LeBron James didn't kind of treat him as an equal superstar. He kind of treated him as his kid brother. And Kyrie Irving, being one of the most like one of the most versatile offensive players in the NBA didn't want to be treated as a younger brother to somebody else, even if it is LeBron James. But I do understand what you're saying. The Spurs definitely could miss the playoffs. There's a lot of parity in the West. Um, I know it's top-heavy, but I still think the West is just overall better than the East. Oh, 100%. Even with, yeah. I think a lot of these teams, like Utah and Denver, could be competing not only for a playoff spot in the East, but they could be push a lot of these top teams in the East to six games, even seven games. Um, but... Spurs are definitely looking to turn what turn around with they've how they've been playing so far. They did play a really tight game with the Warriors the other night. Um, that's shown some good signs, but um, you have to take that with a grain of salt. One game in the NBA, but they play uh, Oklahoma City tomorrow. That could be a really big game for them. Both teams are within uh, are actually tied in the standings right now, so every game means a lot these last twenty five games. So it will be very interesting to see. That's right. You know the Spurs. One of the best teams in the NBA over the past 20 years, but you know, we might be seeing some turnover, and who knows how long Popovich can last as head coach. So Very similar to the Patriots situation in the NFL. Exactly. You know, this is, you know, imagine the team without Kawhi and, I mean, we already have Tim Duncan having retired. Have, imagine the team without Pop. I mean, yeah. that's going to be a whole new era. But, you know, we will see, like you said, some exciting games and Spurs coming up. So uh, there's going to be a lot uh, over these past last 25 games. Um, that are really going to tell us something about, you know, what kind of team this Spurs team is. All right, shifting gears now to our final topic of the day. Uh, we're going to go ahead and go over to the MLB, where Zach Greinke, his fastball velocity is reportedly down, uh, and he has gone on record saying he's worried about himself going into this next year. And more so than Greinke, I'm worried about the Diamondbacks, uh, who are coming off of a postseason season, uh, postseason year, um, acquired J.D. Martinez at the trade deadline, who you know blasted over 30 home runs for them in the second half, absolutely went on a tear, but now he's in Boston, uh, so they kind of have to move on without him, uh, kind of look back to Paul Goldschmidt as the guy in the offense. In terms of the NL West and this, these standings, where do you see the Diamondbacks fitting in? I mean, the Dodgers are clearly the number one. Um, Rockies also made the playoffs, but you know fell in that first game to the Diamondbacks in the play-in game, uh, in the wildcard game. And, you know, they're kind of, they have this weird offseason plan where they're acquiring a bunch of relievers uh, when their bullpen was already kind of good and their offense was really what needed, you know, to pick it up. And apparently they've just reached uh, a short-term deal with Cargo. Uh, so they're bringing him back into the fold. I just don't know how this offense is going to work. Um, but regardless, where do, the, where do the Diamondbacks fit in the NL West? I think they're the third team in the NL West. Uh, our Dodgers, like you said, clear number one team. I do really like where the Rockies are trending as a team, uh, but I don't see the Diamondbacks really being able to, I mean, maybe compete for a wild card spot, kind of where they were last year, but I don't see them really getting above second or third in the NL West. Second, if the Rockies, I think, play kind of down to kind of underachieve a little bit. And then, of course, there's the Giants, who you know have made a couple big moves uh, this offseason, namely Evan Longoria and Andrew McCutcheon, both franchise icons with their former teams, having been picked up by the Giants. Looking to have some uh, bounce-back years, exactly. for McCutcheon. McC- Actually, yeah. McCutcheon had a really good second he half did. last he year. Did. He um, and Evan Longoria has been consistent, you know, to say the least. He's uh, not maybe the guy he used to be, but, you know, they, third base, Giants' third base was the worst statistical position in the entire MLB last season. So filling that void, you know, massive crater, 
uh, type something out of that. You know, getting something is, is going to be huge for them. Will be interesting, Madison Bumgarner though. I think once that happened, that kind of set the tone for their entire season. It almost seemed like so. It will be kind of interesting to see when one of the best pitchers in baseball kind of comes back. But I mean, the Giants definitely could compete with the Diamondbacks. I mean, that division behind the Dodgers is pretty much a toss up in my eyes. No, I mean, I think this is one of my favorite little tidbits, uh, MLB, just to explain the turnover. In 2010, the Giants and the Tigers played each other in the World Series, and the number of ones and two picks in the draft were the Astros and the Cubs. This past two years, Astros and Cubs have each won the World Series, and this last year, the Giants and Tigers picked one and two in the draft. Which is that's just goes to show, you know, that like the six year cycle that this MLB has kind of turned into with all the tanking and all of that, but. As far as the Diamondbacks go, they kind of have been on this fringe team for forever. I mean, Arizona's not a huge market, so they can't, you know, pour a bunch of money into free agents. They have, they've had one World Series in the past. Mm-hmm. They, they definitely are a but, city well, that knows how to win. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, they weren't, haven't, by, in this decade, they haven't been a bad team by any means. But their farm system has been pretty bad. You know, just overall, they haven't, you know, since Paul Goldschmidt came up, they haven't really had, you know, another stud. You know, A.J. Pollock was kind of you know, supposed to be that guy. Then he tore his ACL, missed a season, and came back last year and wasn't great. Uh, so they're kind of looking for a bounce back year from him. And, and then I think, you know, the rotation I'm not really worried about. Okay, so Zach Granke, yes, fastball velocity coming down. That's not good. He was a Cy Young candidate last year, not necessarily, you know, clear-cut, you know, top three or anything. But he, he had a good year. Um, but Robbie Ray really, really yeah. emerged, uh, had a great season. Zach Godley is very underrated. I was saying, you know, he's going to be the Madison Bumgarner of the playoffs mm-hmm. last year. I thought he was going to go into tear. Didn't, but I think he's still a very good pitcher um, and someone they can, you know, kind of move forward with. Same with Tywan Walker, uh, who they acquired from the Mariners mm-hmm. a few years ago. He took a big leap last year. And then there's Patrick Corbin, who had Tommy John surgery, uh, was the, used to be their ace was a uh, big for a while. Yeah, it will um, be really interesting to see. So if he can, you know, continue to move forward, I think their rotation's fine. Their bullpen, uh, they lost Fernando Rodney uh, to free agency. He's now with the Twins. Um, but that's honestly not a bad thing. I mean, Rodney was their closer last year, uh, but didn't was kind of up and down throughout the year. Somehow didn't lose it to Archie Bradley, who finished the year with a sub-2 ERA, mm-hmm. had the most innings pitched among any reliever on the team, yet somehow only had one save the entire season. He's going to be their closer moving forward, so I think they're in good hands there. Their bullpen actually entering the year was projected by Fangraphs to have the worst bullpen in the league and finish like top five. Uh, so that's that's pretty incredible, um, you know. And, and clearly that kind of shows like bullpen projections are pretty hard to make. Um, but they are returning six pitchers who had at least forty innings pitched last year. So that kind of shows that you know from that good group they're getting almost the entire core back. I mean, obviously losing Rodney, they're going to have somebody else fill in uh, to round out that uh, bullpen. But they're, you know, they're at least, you know, I think continuity is almost one of the best, you know, recipes for success in terms of their bullpen. Um, and I think moving forward, they're fine. What really worries me is this offense, and mainly their middle infielders. Kettle Marte and Brandon Drury are their shortstop and second baseman, respectively. They are some of, you know, projected to be, you know, league average to below league average players. Brandon Drury has never had a great season. Kettle Marte has always had a ceiling, but has never been able to reach it. Got a lot of injuries, didn't even play 50 games last year. So I think, honestly, if, if they want to, you know, obviously losing J.D. Martinez for agency, they have a major hole in the offense. And they're not really going to find anyone that's still available to fill that void. But, you know, what if Neil Walker? Neil Walker uh, has had, you know, really good seasons, battled some injuries, yes, but has been, like, you know, a top 10 second baseman over the past five years. And somehow still a free agent right now. It's actually one of the biggest, you know, just most disgusting things 
Uh, among baseball right now, Tony Walker doesn't have a job. Has only gotten one offer for a contract. It was from the Royals for a minor league deal. Uh, with an invite to spring training, Neil Walker's a better player than that. Mm-hmm. And clearly the Diamondbacks have a need, so this feels like a perfect fit in my eyes. I agree. Their offense does worry me, too. They do have power, it seems like, all around the diamond except the middle infield, which is not a power position, but you still want to get something out of it. I mean, guys like Jake Lamb, Steven Souza can definitely hit the ball. Uh, hopefully their average right. definitely they got gets to come up before. But I think they, they're guys that can definitely hit it out at any time. They need some guys to protect Goldschmidt like Martinez kind of used to. But... They definitely need other guys to step up. I mean, Goldschmidt's clearly their best player, um, but they really need other guys to protect him around the lineup. I mean, baseball's not really a sport where one guy can kind of take your team to that next level. I mean, Mike Trout's the best player in the league, and the Angels have consistently not made the playoffs or barely made the playoffs. I think they will this year, though. Yeah, I do, too, but I'm just saying in Mm -hmm. in years past, with just having Mike Trout in the lineup, it seemed like. or at least I only would ever want to tune in to see Mike Trout. But um, That's fair. It does seem like Goldschmidt. Albert Pools is still on that team. Yeah, somehow. <laughs> um, I actually don't know how old he is, which is interesting. But <laughs> it will be interesting to see how guys uh, hit around Goldschmidt. But I still think they'll win a, over 80 games. Uh, I think they'll, con- they'll compete uh, for the wild card maybe until late, kind of drift off behind some other teams. Because the NL, I mean, uh, I don't really see anybody in the NL East other than the Mets even competing for a wild card. So Arizona definitely could compete for a wild card, but I mean, I don't see them making the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's there's tiers right now. And if we're talking the National League, I mean, obviously it's Dodgers, Cubs, and Nats uh, at that top tier. They're, you know, they've made the they've won their divisions each of the past two years, um, all three teams. So that's kind of just been an established regime right now. Now if we're looking next tier, we've got Cardinals, uh, who, you know, having made some moves, most notably, Acquiring Marcelo Zuna uh, has kind of boosted them up to, you know, at least back in the conversation because they've missed the playoffs each of the past two years, having the Cubs being as dominant as they've been. Um, but then, you know, it's, it's Cardinals, uh, it's Diamondbacks, I guess. You know, you, you can put them in that conversation, but there's also there's the Rockies. Mm-hmm. There's also uh, the Giants. There's also the Mets if they can stay healthy. Um, some people are even saying the Phillies. You know, Jake Arrieta is still available, and the Phillies are apparently the front runner for him mm-hmm. right now. They are. Uh, you know, if they go out and acquire Jake Arrieta, uh, you know, they already have a, a few solid players. Uh, Aaron Nola is actually a very underrated pitcher. Um, maybe not an ace right now, but, you know, he's only 26. He's got plenty of time ahead of him. I think that, you know, moving forward, the Phillies are in great shape. I'm actually, as, oh, a, as a Nats fan, I'm, I'm very worried about the NFL. They could be the least. So I think that the Phillies are, are trending in the right direction. I think the Braves are too. Obviously, the Marlins going to be bad for a while. <laughs> Nobody but. understands what the Marlins are doing. <laughs> but anyway, um, and then, you know, the Mets are always going for it. They don't tank uh, almost ever. I mean, they, they did, uh, you know, worst sellers of the deadline to your, uh, this past year and the year before. But uh, as far as, you know, long term, they've got a lot of pitchers locked in. So that NL East is, is still loaded. Uh, in terms of the future, at least, you know, young players. Um, but back to the NL West, I think the Diamondbacks are in that second tier and certainly can still make the playoffs. I just think that without a big – losing Goldschmidt is – I mean, not Goldschmidt. Losing Martinez, J.D. Martinez yeah. is just huge for them because, you know, the reason they acquired him in the first place is because they didn't have a power bat. No. They were just, you know, they needed somebody to protect Goldschmidt in the lineup. And I think a huge player to watch this year is just Monty Tomas, mm-hmm. who was acquired, you know – as a prospect coming in, you know, gave him a ton of money immediately, uh, kind of was looked at as the, the future of the Diamondbacks, and he just hasn't really been able to be that guy. He's battled a lot of injuries these past year. I, I think that, you know, if he can finally turn things around, you know, that that outfield can be very, very good with Steven Souza, A.J. Pollock, Definitely. and Yusmani Tomas. I think that could, there's potential to be a very star-studded outfield. 
but all three, I mean, I, I like Souza. Um, I'm, I'm actually a very big fan of him. Um, we had a Twitter banter one time uh, where I, I made fun of him and he went back at me. But I remember, um, I remember that. I think that, uh, you know, with him, you know, he's able to hit 30 home runs. And he can he hit, definitely he can hit 260, 30 home runs. It's, it's, you know, not a bad, you know, left field. Uh, center field, they need A.J. Pollock to have a bounce back year. I mean, he's battled that injury, obviously. But even when he was healthy last year, he wasn't the guy everyone thought he would be. I mean, people were, after that breakout season, what was it, three, two, three years ago, I mean, he really, everyone kind of thought, oh, he's going to be one of the next best center fielders. And we haven't really seen that out of him since. And so we kind of need to, you know, see a little bit more of him. See, okay, now you've had a full, your full offseason, you know, no injury constraints, just working towards playing this season. What can you do? This is going to be a really telling year for A.J. Pollock because he hits free agency after the year too. Um, so if they're going to want to re-sign him, uh, you know, if he wants to be re-signed, he's going to need to, you know, have a great year. And then, of course, Tomas, who just has never been able to reach that ceiling that everyone thought, you know, I mean, he still has the tools. Uh, he's still a young player. He's got plenty of time. But I, I think that this year it could be very telling for the future of the Diamondbacks because there's some players that, you know, aside from Goldschmidt, there's just so many question marks on this team. I just don't know where they go from here. Um, and, and as far as that offense goes, I really think they need another bat. And I think Neil Walker would be a perfect fit. Jake, I mean, they have three guys that could potentially hit 30 home runs. Yeah. Goldschmidt, Lamb, and as well as Souza. Yes, so, and Jake Lamb is the guy Lamb, we haven't talked yeah, about. Exactly. So, I mean... They definitely have some power in that lineup, but they definitely need other guys, especially in the outfield, middle infield, to step up. And but I do, I really like the rotation. So I think they could definitely compete for a wild card spot. I mean, it's a, it's a solid line. I mean, solid team. Uh, no really glaring weaknesses to me. Definitely, definitely some. I'm just not a concern. big Brandon Drury fan. Yeah, things is concerned base. for sure, but I don't see them as a team with like a major hole on their team. To be honest, so will be very interesting to see. Yep. Well. That is going to wrap us up for today. Thank you all so much for listening. Mitch, thank you for coming on. Everybody, don't forget to like and subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at Pure Sports Net. Check out our website at puresportsnetwork.com. And like us on Facebook at Pure Sports Network. I'm Matt Wyrick. This is Mitchell Siemens signing off. Thank you all so much for listening. Mitch, any last words for the good people? Go Hokies. And go Nats. Thank you all so much for listening and have a good one.